You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. comes on you know it's time to begin and wherever you are whenever you are and however you happen to be listening we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to oh so close especially if you're one of our geeks and snakes using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run we're gonna be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because dlc is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be and that is completely free thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash dlcpod. They bring the show to you. They support the show. They make the show possible. And in exchange, they get some cool stuff. Perks, bonuses, extra stuff, extra listening deliciousness, including ad-free versions of the show, video versions of the show on demand, and a whole kit and caboodle of bonus content, including... Ladies and gentlemen, the Wednesday paid DLC program where Christian Spicer and Lana Bashinsky and myself get together and we, we pontificate about the, the musings of the day. Oh, whatever happens, happens. Uh, Lana is currently on her honeymoon right now, uh, living it up in Italy. But uh, we, had, uh, we had Danish Sayed sitting with us last time. You never know who, is, who it's going to be and you never know what we're going to be talking about. But it's fun times. And all of that can be yours uh, as a Cool Ranch patron, but we also have other bonus content. We got spoiler chats. Christian and I are going to do a spoiler chat for for Star Wars Jedi Survivor. We're going to do one for Horizons uh, DLC, uh, The Burning Shores. We got all these uh, bonus chats coming up. But most importantly for today's discussion, you also get bonus content in the form of feeling this. The extra show, the bonus show where Christian Spicer is joined by Alex Solman, and they talk about the feelings behind video games. It's good fun. It is an entire season of content waiting for you if you become a patron, and season two is on the way, ladies and gentlemen. All that at DLC Pod on Patreon. Patreon.com slash DLC Pod. But this show, the main show, this is a show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy whose Lakers are leading my Warriors in the series as of this recording. Two games to one, and I am not happy about it. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian! Hello, Jeff. Season two, I think we have six episodes recorded, and I'm slowly editing my way through them, a feeling this. We're doing video as well as audio, and I'm, I'm having some fun with the audio edit, so it's a little slower, but it is it is coming along. And per your NBA playoffs comment, Jeff, remember the, after the first game, and we were like, ooh, this is going to be a series. The, oh, what a close, oh, what a nail-biter. And the second yeah. game, the Warriors were like, 
hold my beer. And then the third game, the Lakers are like, no, 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 hold my beer. And now I yeah. don't know what to make. You of don't know whose beer to hold. <laughs> whose beer do I hold? It's uh, it's been a wild three games, but I have been a wild three games of the Warriors. Maybe by the time I don't I haven't looked at the schedule, but I'm guessing by the Wednesday, time you, guys, you, you hear the next episode, we will know the winner of the series. Oh, maybe. And, yeah. Uh. And uh, Christian, and I have a bet going right now. Friendly wager uh, for for which team reigns supreme. Or at least gets out of the second round. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's only the second round. <laughs> uh, but ladies and gentlemen, we have a huge show for you. There's so much to talk about. We got big, big games. We got news. Uh, we got awesome guests. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, I'm excited because DLC stands for designer who leans into caring. Because we have lead gameplay designer and the co-host of that Feeling This podcast I just mentioned, it's Alex Solman joining us again. Hey, Alex, how are you? Hi, Jeff. Hi, Christian. How are you doing? I am stoked to be here. Um, yes, uh, um, I'm just thrilled. It's exciting. It's second time being here. Um, love doing the show. Love listening to you guys. So thank you for having me. I'm excited to get chatting. Well, we love having you on the show. And uh, Feeling This has been so awesome. It's such great feedback from all the patrons who have been enjoying it. And again, uh, Feeling This is... At any level of Patreon, Patreon support. So, uh, you know, uh, the paid DLC show is only at Cool Ranch level, but you get feeling this at any level. So check it out at patreon.com slash DLC pod. Uh, Alex is so kind to help booster our uh, our Patreon with with his content. Uh, so, so generous, and we appreciate that. But uh, now we, on the main show, we get full Solman. It's going to be awesome. I will do my best. I will do my best. And yes, <laughs> I, I'm, I love feeling this. I love doing it. I think it actually came out of the last time I was on the show. Um, we got chatting on Discord, and the idea came up of like, yeah, maybe me and Christian could talk feels. And I think I, I think I threw it out there, and Christian was down for it. And yeah. next thing you know, we've made a whole season. Um, and I love the, I love the conversation. I love the discussion. I love what Christian brings to the table. He always puts, brings great questions and great has great um, opinions on things. And I think it's a really fun thing to do. And I appreciate you guys letting me. Uh, let me join you and, and do it. I mean, it's amazing. My understanding is that uh, after every episode, Christian asked the guest if they would like to do a podcast <laughs> without me. That's my understanding. Is every guest is like, hey, this was great, but would you like to reconvene without Jeff? And you were the only one that said, said yes so far. So that's... Uh... Well, I mean, Lana was in and I was like, let's do an anything but book club. And Lana was like, oh, I really want to do a book club. And I was like, no one will listen to that. That's a, that's a fool's errand. Um, so, you know. Uh, anyway, well, we, no, no, I think the show is fantastic and I, uh, I love it. So let's jump in and start this show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. That's also where you can send comments or questions, anything you'd like us to know. We love hearing from you at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also participate in our communities. We have a subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. And a Discord. Discord's popping. A lot of fun. A lot of fun hanging out in that Discord. Uh, the Discord is also 5x5dlc on Discord. Highly recommend people hang out in there. I love... The book club that deal, uh, the uh, Lana and I are doing on uh, wait what on... <laughs> a, a, books? 
I thought that would never work. <laughs> it would. It would work. It's working. Uh, it's working. It's so much fun hanging out in the Discord talking about that stuff and video games and all sorts of stuff. Anyway, Alex, you are our guest. So you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Ooh, that's a good one. Well, I think there is an obvious story of the week, uh, which I think you guys are probably going to cover. Um, I'm in a, in a position, I'm here representing myself as a developer, as a, as a, as a game fan. Um, last time I think we spoke, I was between jobs. I just left Dice LA and now I'm with Zenimax online. Um, so I'm going to leave you the main story, I think, because I think that's an interesting one. Um, my personal um, story, I've, I have two, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pull a Jeff. I'm just going to pick one. Um, is I think the the layoffs at Unity I think was a really interesting um, piece of news that I saw today. The third layoff in the year, eight um, percent of their workforce gone. Um, obviously, we've seen some downsizing in the industry. Anyone that's in the industry gets a bit nervous. Anyone that's outside the industry gets a bit nervous. What does that mean? What does it look like? I think especially in relation to the recent Unreal or the Unreal um, Unreal Five, all that the reveals for all that technology. It's kind of interesting to see how Unity is reacting. Sounds very much like uh, the CEO, John Riccatello, is trying to find a way to downsize to grow. Um, I think the thing that was the most interesting part of it was the downsizing in offices from 58 to 30, maybe less than 30. That struck me as interesting. Is that related to work from home? Is that related to, you know, um, trying to cut costs in terms of having large, complex, expensive buildings in various places? I don't know. It's kind of interesting um, in this this world we live in now post covid so that struck me as a really interesting interesting story yeah i agree i mean it, it, i don't know how many of these stories we, we've been getting so many uh layoffs uh in in so many different um you know uh, areas uh, obviously tons of developers getting laid off that's a common refrain unfortunately a uh, lot of uh journal game journalists and and magazines are well magazines <laughs> What year am I in? And, you know, <laughs> the industry, the journalistic industry contracting, all, all the industries are contracting. Um, that seems to be an, an economic reality that's happening right now across a number of industries. Video games certainly feeling that hit. Uh, it's worrisome to me. I mean, I don't know how much I want to relate this to, I don't know how much it is actually related to other news stories that I'm hearing, specifically this Unity one that you bring up. But man, I can't help but feel that there's some connection to stuff like the CEO of IBM coming out and saying, hey, we're going to lay off 7,500 workers because we're going to replace them with AI in the next five years. 30% of all jobs at IBM will be able to be done by AI. Um, I, you know, I, that's the, the buzzword right now. That's the big, you know, zeitgeist. It's something we, I've talked about on the show a bunch of times. I don't need to impose it on this story if it's misplaced, but I'm curious what you think as someone who's in the industry. Obviously, Unity itself just showed a bunch of new mm -hmm. procedural features and, you know, AI, at least AI adjacent, if not directly AI influenced features that are ostensibly going to remove the need for human beings to do a lot of that work. What is your current feeling right now in that regard? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I sat down with my my nine year old kid a couple of weekends ago and tried to program a game in Unity with ChatGPT. I was kind of curious if we could do it. We spent a couple of hours kind of messing around, um, and it was fascinating to sort of see how much ChatGPT could get us started. And then once we got into the point where it was trying to do something kind of nuanced, 
my my silly analogy was it kind of like I kind of likened it to when you use Google Maps, right? When you use Google Maps, you just forget how to get anywhere, right? Yes. You just know where you start and you know where you're going to end up. Yes. And you sort of remember. Whereas, you know, in the olden days, you would have to remember landmarks, you'd remember destinations, you'd know your way. Right. And it sort of felt like using ChatGPT kind of felt similar in that I was kind of, I didn't, it didn't really help me understand how to get there. Even though I'm a scripter, I know I can, I can script to some extent. I always call myself like a Fisher Price programmer, right? I'm not really a programmer, but I do very basic sort of programming with scripting. Um, and it sort of felt like we were chasing our tail a little bit. So it felt like I ran up against a, a brick wall, wasn't prompting it the right way, I think. Um, and it was really fascinating for me to consider that as a developer, like how would I leverage this as an assistant, as an aid in my daily job? Could I, would I? Um, whether it's possible, I mean, you know, we've got the writer strike in Hollywood going on right yeah. now. You know, there's yeah. an interesting time. There's an interesting time in the world right now with AI and its presence and, you know, lots of the conversation around it. I mean, clearly this effort at Unity was to make them leaner and stronger for, you know, for future times. Um, I can only imagine that the competition in that the, the the sort of pre-built, if you like, engine market is very high, right? You know, with Unity and, uh, and Unreal going head to head, there's other, you know, game maker, there's other engines out there that are very supported. Um, so is there a correlation? I think it's fair to say it's possible. Um, I think, I think the downsizing office thing maybe hints at something else related to, you know, again, related to modern times, right? How many yeah. of those staff were, you know, people that ran the buildings, ran the offices, drove security, you know, ran, you know, services, right? There's a lot of people within yeah. the industry that aren't just people that make the games, they're people that support the the process. So I don't know. I think it's an interesting timing, obviously not the first time they've done it this year. So it does in, infer that there is some big changes going at Unity to keep them going. Um, and yeah, I mean, the correlation I think is, is fair to make how much is, is directly connected is impossible to say, but yeah, yeah, it's an interesting time. And certainly as a developer, you know, as a designer, right? Like a lot of what I do is sort of in my head, uh, trying to, and, and conversation and dialogue and creation. And I mean, you could argue a lot of de designers, what, what do we do? We kind of smash ideas together and we try and see what comes out the other side. And, you know, there is no doubt that AI at some point will be able to do a version of that, um, mm -hmm. And how that in how that boosts our ability to be you know um, creative and deliver new ideas versus replace us, right? You know, obviously my hope is the former, <laughs> um, uh, but you know, it's it's a uh, yeah, it's a fascinating time, I think. It it really is, and you know, I certainly didn't mean to sidetrack the conversation there. I, it just where my brain immediately goes mm -hmm. when I see all these things. Yeah, um, I think you make a great point about this you know pulling out this point about them downsizing physical office space uh as you said from 58 to 30 that's uh pretty amazing that mm -hmm. you know, not only are they contracting the worst workforce but they're like we don't need physical locations as much mm -hmm. um and I, I, these are trends right these are trends that we're seeing across a number of industries uh christian i'm wondering what your take on a unity laying off 600 uh in the midst of this you know the tapestry of all these other stories that we've seen where, you know, it seems like every week there's more, more layoffs. In fact, I think I saw somebody compiled all of the video game industry layoff announcements over the last year, and it's a staggering list. Hmm. Yeah, it's, um, 
it's it's hard and there I, I forget i think i saw it on linkedin of all places because i'm not on a lot of social media places and linkedin the, pulled here's me. the places that aren't hiring you tab <laughs> it, yeah pulled me into its dark web with an email and someone had posted a thing and it was like uh uh i don't remember who it was but it was i found it uh humorous and it was this idea of like you know top three things you can do next time you're laid off to keep in mind and it seemed like very much like this uh type of like ted talk like how to make sure you don't you know be make sure you're essential to the company and then you i clicked on like expand and it was like there was nothing you could do it was out of your control um don't feel bad happens to the best of us and it's like oh yeah that's right sometimes these things are outside of your control mm-hmm. but as someone who's uh been laid off and also been on the other side of the table and had to make some tough decisions about mm-hmm. um uh, folks at a, at a company it's super hard and it, it, it it's at least for me not to project it's hard for me not to have taken it personally and been like why was i one of the 600 and not one of the one and i think all that stuff is hard because i think especially in western culture we put a lot of our identity in our job mm-hmm. um and, and and when you get laid off what does that say about you and, and blah 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 so i i feel for these folks it is difficult what I find interesting about all of these is kind of breaking down the CEO speak um, and the justifications for it. My air quote favorites are the ones where the CEO says the responsibility is all on me. This is my fault. P.S. I'm getting a pay raise. Uh, <laughs> bye to all of you. And like that's always a real, a real Which is, to, the to be fair, isn't what Riccatello has said, right? Correct. It is not. But Riccatello's comment I think is interesting, and I you see this a lot as well of this is needed to make us stronger. <laughs> and that kind it's like, that rubs me the wrong way, just as a human being. Like what makes us stronger is having less of you here. Um, you know, this positions us for better growth in the future by getting rid of Deborah, Greg, Gary, Max. <laughs> you know, and but it's he's not like, talking oh, to Deborah, Gary, Greg, and Max. I, he's talking oh, about I, share, talking to shareholders, you know. I oh, I know, but and so the but there's this idea of like you want to be lean and nimble so we can pursue whatever's out there. And then we do, and we grow and follow those trends, and then they don't work out, and then we gotta cut all those people so we can be lean and nimble and to see what the next thing is. And I am not a CEO of any company. Um but I feel like there has to be a better way than this feast or famine, chase the trend, uh, web three, it's going to be web three and all these companies pivot to that or video, right? The, the pivot to video and every, every company media company pivoted to that. And then that blew up and it sucks. And I, I don't have a solution, Alex and Jeff, but I feel like there must be a better way. And, and maybe that better way is to be more of a lifestyle company and less of a, publicly traded company like like the answer isn't having shareholders and going public with an ipo and the answer is we are a company that is sustainable for the folks that work here and we're going to keep it that way and that can be good enough that can be enough well you know this is a larger oh yeah my comments are not about video games (laughs) yeah i mean you're you're, this is a, a capitalism discussion right because uh riccatello's allegiances here are to maintain growth in his companies yes. for the shareholders and not to maintain a workforce and you know nurture human beings that's not that's not <laughs> that's not his job right and have a good show everybody that's it that's think about what you put out into the world make it a better place we did it bye <laughs> well i'm just saying we can argue about whether that should be the case and oh, i think yeah, yeah, yeah. there are know, you know, know we have strong know. feelings but 
at, at the moment, the present reality is that, you know, his job is to say, we need to have fewer people here so that we can make, you know, increase the value of the company. That sucks. It sucks. I, I'm, you know, like I, I keep pushing at this to maybe put it in a category it's not, but I don't know how over the next five years or even shorter, this doesn't become a, we just don't need that many humans thing, you know? And, and across everything, across, every, uh, across the board is just the human stuff, the human beings we're employing are redundant. Um, I don't know. I mean, we, that's a horse maybe I'm just beating to death. Um, but I, I can't help but fear that's the reality of just the world as it, as it looms. Yeah, I hear you. I, I think I think there's definitely that's a very prescient concern. I mean, I think we all, as you know, people that have jobs, as parents, right? We, you know, there's yeah. a huge, huge um, potential ramification. That's part of the reason why I sat down with my kid just to sort of give him some exposure to the concept. And there was a point where yeah. he sort of looked at me and went, "Daddy, I can't believe that you can do it like this. This is why would you do it any other way?" And I was like, "Exactly, kid. Exactly." <laughs> um, <laughs> um, why? Would yeah. I do it? The other. Uh. Um, why would I be up till two in the morning, banging my head against the wall, kid? But that's yeah. the truth: is that for our kids' generation, it's going to be completely normal. It's going to yes. be completely normal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and that's what I keep trying to remind myself: is that I'm the fossil, and there for them, they are going to just take it in stride because it's it's the way the world has always been, right? It's the world that they are being raised in, and that's just going to be completely normal, you know. And maybe it leads to Star Trek, right? Maybe it's it's Star Trek. You just <laughs> talk to the computer and say, "Computer, could you please just do all that stuff for me?" And it, you know, and it just does it. I, I agree. I think there's a I think there's a responsibility on us as parents, though, to shepherd them into these like into these kind of new uh, endeavors i think i feel the same about social media right social media and just general social conduct right my kids that's all they've known my oldest not so much but definitely my 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 younger two kids that's all they've known and it's super important i think for us as parents to kind of shepherd them into that experience the right way so that they approach it and they don't just approach it as like this is how it is and i can do whatever i want right you know i think there's there's a responsibility in us to kind of try and understand the systems and also try and give them the right framing for, for how to use it. And um, I think yeah, AI is just that next, that next frontier that we'll have to, as parents, we'll put another pressure on us to try and figure yeah. out and navigate. But um, with, with regards to, with regards to kind of work and career, I, I agree. I think there's a real, there's a real opportunity for it to accelerate our ability to do things even more efficiently, much like technology has in general. And like you say, there's a massive risk that a lot of us are like, well, I guess that's it for my job then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know, it's hard to know right now. It feels like we're like right on that, in that murky area right now where it could go either way. Definitely. And certainly our heart goes out to all those jobs at Unity, third layoffs in a year there and all the other places that we keep hearing about of <clears throat> downsizing and, and uh, you know, our, our friends at Waypoint just all got laid off or about to be laid off in June. Um you know, it, there's so many, so many times where this is the story in the last, you know, year, two years. 
I agree. The, the other quick thing I would say that to relate to Christian's point is this is also probably a lot of really smart people who now have an opportunity to go and su- do something better, newer, greater. So I think I think I, as someone also, like you said, Christian, someone that's been kind of laid off myself and sort of looked at it as like, well, that's it. I guess my whole career's done. And my wife was like, you're going to find another job. You'll be all right. Um, and be lucky enough to be able to do that. I think that I'm sure there's a lot of very smart people that have got a lot of great experience that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be a massive asset wherever they land. So I'm excited, excited for that. And we're certainly rooting for them. Mm-hmm. Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Well, I guess it's more bad news. My story of the week is that despite better judgment, Jeff was not cast as uh, Johnny Cage in Mortal Kombat 2. Like, it was <laughs> it was there. I've been I mean, doing like, sit-ups for nothing. I've played the game. I've watched. I've gone. People, I haven't talked about this on the show, but I visited Jeff in Colorado. I watched him jump and do the splits on the corner of a kitchen, <laughs> of a kitchen counter. Yeah. Six months um, in the hospital after that. But it, was it worth it for the video? The I cage so. tattoo across his chest um also like real people are like oh that's fake for movies it's not like i've played mortal kombat 10 i've played mortal kombat 11 i've seen i've i've broken jeff's jaw multiple times Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. x-ray mode in those games and in real life and no so i'm calling it right now dlc's boycott (laughs) of the mortal kombat 2 movie (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) we're gonna call it you cannot have cast him. We cannot have seen your movie. <laughs> that was terrible. No, I think Carl Urban's a great choice. So the the news you're bringing up is that uh, not official announcement, but hopefully, yeah, fingers crossed. There's still a chance. There's still a chance we'll that I can the slip in there. Petition. Everybody, mail your old TRS hoodie to Warner <laughs> Brothers Studio. <laughs> we will overwhelm them with tens of hoodies. <laughs> uh, this is not my my actual story of the week uh i do like carl urban quite a bit mm-hmm. i like judge dread quite a bit i like the boys mm-hmm. quite a bit um what really struck me as odd though is that when actually trs was cast as johnny cage um <laughs> just the show it's just the show it's just it's three, fists, three fists <laughs> punching yeah um Made it as the uh, what as a the... what a uh, what a list of uh, of geekdom bona fides for for Carl Urban. I mean, yes, you go down the list of what he's played. He's been in uh, he's been in the Lord of the Ring, you know. Uh, he's I been feel- in uh, he, he's he, comic books and superheroes and 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 he's been a he's been a Bones. He's been a Trek Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Like this guy, come on! Now he's going to be Johnny Cage. If he and Pedro Pascal shake hands, like geekdom explodes. Like they can't, it's all, they've been all the things. Um, My story of the week. Oh, go ahead, Jeff, sorry. I was just saying, I think he's a pretty good choice for Johnny Mm King. Agreed. Yeah, he's he's pretty good. Pretty, not the best, but pretty good. (laughs) It's not official, but he's in talks, evidently. Yes. Do it. Um, our friends over at Kind of Funny had uh, an exclusive uh, with Phil Spencer of Xbox um, right after the launch of Redfall. I'm super curious about when that interview was um, arranged, <laughs> um, and, and kind well, of when the it, fact that he didn't cancel, he, you know, if I, that's yeah, the no, case. Yeah, he did it, and Paris, Gary, and Mike, and the crew they had a great set, set of questions lined up, and Phil, as per usual, in my opinion um was very candid and honest 
Um, and at least the appearance of transparency, he did not say, you know, like, and the next game's coming out on this date. Like, yeah, yeah. He's the CEO of a publicly traded, uh, part of a company. Um, but the interview I thought had some really interesting tidbits and I think they all could be broken out as, you know, potential stories of the week. <laughs> and many um, websites are doing just that. <laughs> and, and they are. <laughs> Um, and Alex, I am not going to ask any questions of you as an official representative of anything. If there's anything you feel like chiming in on, please do. Um, you know, timing works out weird where we didn't know this interview was happening and you're on the show. I, I get it. I'm not trying to put you in a spot. So Jeff, I will direct everything to you. But what I found most interesting about the, uh, the full interview um, was everything on Phil's shelf? Did you get, no, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, clock it. <laughs> um, was his idea of they lost the console wars and I'm paraphrasing, but it was like, we got our butts kicked in the Xbox one generation. Folks have their digital libraries. Now they've committed to a console uh, or to a console space. And, you know, even if I think the quote was like, if Starfield came out and reviewed an 11 out of 10, it still wouldn't make people, you know, throw away their PS fives and rush over to Xbox or something like that. Yeah. And I find his, admission so to speak of like hey we got trounced last gen a gen that he didn't start for them right um yeah it's a convenient convenient factoid there but also this idea perhaps that you know not just starfield maybe but that great games can't bring you back or that enough great games can't win them back and so johnny cage in my heart um what are your thoughts about that well, uh, finish him. No, I don't know. Um, I couldn't even think of a Johnny Cage quote. I'm not a qualified for that part. Uh, I, yes, the, the quote, I mean, there's many quotes we could, we could pull here. And I, I would recommend, not from Johnny Cage, but uh, from Phil Spencer. I recommend people checking out the, in, the full interview. It is uh, well worth watching. And we, you know, again, we are reporting on another podcast, uh, an amazing content. So kudos to them for uh, for sitting there and asking the tough questions and for Phil answering the tough questions. Um, this, this quote of Phil's uh, stood out to me. He says, I see a lot of pundits out there that want to go back to a time when we all had cartridges and discs and every new generation was a clean slate and you could switch the whole console share. I feel like that's, I, I felt called out, right? Because um, he presents a vision of this generation that I don't think I have fully considered, or at least that angle of it, um, which is that it, it really is not, okay, who's going to buy the PS5? Who's going to buy the Xbox series? You know, new, new console generation. How's it all going to play out? From Phil's perspective, and I think this is wise, that's just not how it works anymore. It's, it really is a continuum. And he says it started with Xbox One. I would, uh, I would argue even one more generation previous. I think the 360 was really the beginning of this. But uh, that notion that your purchases are going to carry forward, you're buying into an ecosystem, where are your friends playing, all of those considerations that people are making have nothing yeah, to Apple do. my Apple phone. My Apple phone is exactly. saying exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like I still have an Apple phone, although while I I think I probably would be much happier at this point on an Android, <laughs> I can't help it. I'm I'm stuck. Bought into the ecosystem. Tell yeah. 2007 Jeff to buy a different phone. 
<laughs> you know? You couldn't because you were the face of the phone back then. So there's really no was. way you could have. <laughs> I really was. Christian's referencing the fact that I was on the first Apple commercial, which I was. Yeah. Um, paid for my car. Anyway, um, the uh, I think this is a really salient point. And you know, in one, from one perspective, he's using it as a sort of big excuse for, you know, don't, we're all having the wrong conversation, which I think is very fascinating. Like the whole convert, the, the, the premise, the assumption of the com- conversation that we're having is flawed. I think that's fascinating. It also means like, he's like, ah, I was, I didn't screw it up. You know, like the, the guy who was here before me screwed it up and now I'm just having to clean up his mess. But also it speaks to their strategy in, in regard to, you know, building these, these other systems. He keeps calling out game pass as their answer. It's like, it's not that we have to make great content. He said, you know, it's, w- there's no world where we're just going to content our way out of it. He says, um, the idea that if we just focused more on great games on our console, that somehow we're going to win the console race, I think doesn't relate to the reality of most people. I think that's really wise. It's not what I want to hear as a person who's like, hey, focus on making great content. But I do think as a, you know, as the guy who's running the show over there, I think that is a, a interesting strategic decision to say, okay, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is offering something distinct and finding our our place in that ecosystem and say hey we're not going to just sell more P- consoles than ps5 but we're going to offer something that maybe can play across all consoles and just be a different player in that game and i think to that point as well at least what i heard and i've seen other people reacting i think not what i heard is that it's if we just focused more on making great games, they are trying to make great games is what I got sure. out of that. Yes. I think some people are saying like, yeah, Bill, you need great games. Why are you going to make crap games? I don't think they're saying, hey, we're going to make crap. We don't care what we make. We can't make great games, blah, blah, blah. I think it's if they put every 110% of resources into squeezing the rock as hard as it can be squeezed to make every possible you know, prestige game, will that – do anything will that like be a tsunami of of new users for xbox and he's implying that it wouldn't they are squeezing the rock (laughs) they are (laughs) trying to make great games they're just not trying to get every last bit from it and at least that's what i heard and i think that's important because some folks i feel like we're overreacting to this idea of yeah games do matter and i i wholly agree great games do matter i think there's a reason why the switch is so popular like it is aside for the you can take it you know anywhere depending on the version you have but it is the worst piece of hardware (laughs) you know like hands down even nintendo's own games are struggling on it now but they have compelling can't be played anywhere else software um same with uh the playstation 5 it is arguably inferior tech to the xbox series x but they have great third person action adventure games that can't be played anywhere else. And that is enticing to people. Um, And I think, unfortunately, Xbox for, I think, I forget what I texted you because I I pulled up. I think like since 2020, since 2020, they haven't had a banger, 
you know, flag in the ground, big consensus, triple A hit uh, in a long time. Um, and Forza excluded, I think, but Forza, Alex, I know you and I will die on the hill that racing games should be included in that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But a lot of other people, they're, it's, it's their mm-hmm. different type of game. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where folks kind of heard Phil's comment and kind of maybe overreacted. It's like, I think they are trying to make great games, but the last few years of history have said they haven't. <laughs> and so I think folks got frustrated by that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you make a lot of great points there. Um, one of the things that occurred to me in in listening to this interview as well is, you know, I'm trying to question a lot of the assumptions that I've made just because it's been that way through the years of me covering the industry and being part of the industry and paying attention to the industry uh, and trying to go, oh, you know what? Maybe there really has been a paradigm shift here. One of the things we talk about a lot or have talked about a lot in the last you know, several years since the release of PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series is uh, how there haven't been a lot of, you know, exclusives to those consoles. Everything has been cross-gen. And I don't think this is the primary case. I do think the way we've analyzed that phenomenon has been, for the most part, accurate, which is to say the notion that, you know, the install base is small, the you know, all of the uh, supply chain issues that happened via COVID uh, resulted in this necessity for the developers to make their money by selling cross-gen. I think all of the economics of that that are the main reason. But I also think maybe a peripheral reason or maybe not even a reason, but a side effect perhaps is a lot of what Phil is talking about, which is that when you have a you know you, if you're on PlayStation 4 and you buy Spider-Man and it's going to when when you get your next console you'll be able to upgrade that Spider-Man to the shinier nicer version on the next console are you likely to think about purchasing your next console the same way no probably not you're not thinking about a clean slate like he's talking about you're not going oh okay new generation of consoles which one's better you're thinking about no, I'm on an upgrade path like a phone. I'm on an upgrade path. The The PlayStation 5 is not the next generation of consoles in the way we thought Super Nintendo was, where it's like, oh, what am I going to get, a Genesis or a Super Nintendo? It, it, it really is much more like you had the iPhone 11 last year. You're going to get the iPhone 13 now. You know, it's just the next upgrade path for the ecosystem you're already in. I think that recontextualizes the entire industry in a way that I think fossils like us who've been talking about this industry for a long time are reluctant to acknowledge, right? Because it's much juicier and more fun to talk about it as a horse race. And if it's not a horse race, then we have to have different kinds of discussions about it, you know? And I think Phil is, is kind of pointing out, hey, we internally aren't looking at this as a horse. We're not... There's no expectation that the Series X is going to outsell PlayStation 5. That's not even in our game plan. We're playing a completely different game. 
I think to that point, Jeff, and, and Alex, I will pitch this to you. I feel like this is a, a place I'd love to get your thoughts on is the idea of a friends list as well. So you build out, you know, not only where you upgrade and, and PlayStation had, I think, had some issues with their messaging of, about that. Um, so I think what Phil and Xbox have been doing is smart in terms of saying they carry over and trying to get lay the 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 track for that carrying forward thing. But also like, oh, my friends all played COD on PlayStation 4. Are you going to be the person then who goes out and tells all your friends like, no, 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 no. We're going to move to Xbox Series X for the next one because it's 12 teraflops and that's going to mean X, Y, Z. Or, you know, you have your friends list established on a console um, and that makes you more likely to stick with it. And Alex, my question to you as someone who has a older child in this space, as Jeff and I's kids are, are younger than your oldest, is that something that you've seen of an unwillingness to move that friend group from console to console or has Epic games kind of coalesced that and made it movable or everybody's on discord. So it's not as much of an issue or is it, no, we play on Xbox cause that's where my friends are and that's where we stay. Or is there a conversation on the upper grade schoolyard of, you know, which, which console do we move to next? That's a great question. I would say that, my eldest son, who's 15, Jake, uh, he definitely wanted a Series S because his friends played on Xbox. And even though I said, hey, you know, you can play a lot of those games on PC. He's got a PC, you know, Game Pass PC. He's like, yeah, but, you know, there's a couple that I can't. And, like, all my friends have Xboxes. Well, you know, there's cross-platform you know, there's cross -platform friends now. Yeah, but I'd, I'd kind of rather just be at the same place my friends are at. Um, so, yeah, I think that was a big reason for him wanting an S, um, and he loves it now, now that he's got it. Um, so I do think that's very true. I think that's still, you know, as kids, there's always that kind of, like you said, uh, like you both said, right. Trying to, trying to drag your friend group to somewhere else can be challenging. Right. So, yeah, I think, I think there's an element of that that will always be true. Kids are always, you know, we all grew up with, with that. It's not, that's not changed. Um, I do think that cross-platform friends has changed that conversation quite a lot. Um, and I think, you know, even, maybe 10 years ago, right? Maybe even five years ago, that was a real struggle. You know, they, the friends groups were very well-gardened and, and now that's sort of going away too. And to me, that sort of speaks to what the general trend of this, this, this messaging is, right? Is that there's a broadening of access. There's a broadening of focus. There's a broadening of opportunity for people to play. And, and as a developer, speaking purely as a developer, you know, just as a game developer that's made games, that makes me really excited that there's a lot more ways for people to access the stuff that I put my life into building. Um, and, and that has got to be a good thing ultimately for the consumer. Um, and it, honestly, as a, selfishly, it's a good thing for a developer because it means we get more opportunity. There's more types of games we can make. You know, we can shift maybe away from either making what I've usually always made, which are these giant AAA mega budget big team games, which are very expensive, very complicated, and make me go very grey um, and grayer. <laughs> um, and and you know, it opens up the opportunities. It opens up the access. It opens up the the um yeah it just opens up opportunity for both players and developers and i think that's exciting and i think i think your point about you know finding the right place to play you know there are influences that can drive that but um the more that we can break that down too the better you know when, when you see i was i was at the there's a computer history museum in cambridge uh where i where i live now um and there was uh i was there last night just talking to some people we were talking about exactly this problem right how 
we, I, I did a talk on Psygnosis and that sort of 16-bit era, and we were talking very much about how the consoles were like, you know, the machines were like, that's the one I need. It's got those games on it. Um, and then there was a massive leap to the next generation, a huge sea change in, well, now I need those games. And like those people are still making those games, but now the games are like this. But we, that's changed completely. And as much as I love that era as a collector and a retro game fan, right, more access, more more availability, more opportunity for people to discover and play what you make, I think is is, is just a, a overall a win-win, I think. I yeah, disagree. You know- I want my games locked on handhelds where their batteries will expand and they'll be irreplaceable and no one can ever play those games again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, you know, I, I've had this notion in my head for, for a while now. And, and, you know, I, I still believe it to be true that, you know, the, the prevailing wisdom such as it is in the, in the video game punditry world, I think is still informed or at least maybe not even punditry. It, it whatever that undercurrent of console wars that's still mm-hmm. alive uh, on any mm-hmm. level, I think is a vestige of a bygone era where something like the Dreamcast can go away because not enough people bought it. I think there is still whatever that emotional pain is of get on board on your team because the losing team is going to cease to exist is still, there's still whatever that psychic pain, that scar, that trauma, that an entire generation of gamers that got on board with a console that died. And you still see bits of it with something like Stadia, right? Is like, hey, get on board with Stadia. Not enough people did. Bye-bye. But I think that for the most part, that's just not the case anymore. It's just not applicable. Microsoft isn't leaving, right? If not enough people bought an Xbox... They're just, you know, if they're distant third place, they're still in the game. They're still doing it. And I don't, I think there is this weird, I've always felt that the console war itself, such as it is, this, this notion of a console war and, and the, the individual uh, goofballs on the internet that feel like they are, uh, <laughs> they are warriors in that conflict, uh, self-appoint them, you know, self-appoint that responsibility in order to prevent the death of their platform, right? And I just don't think that's a possibility anymore. They don't need to worry about it. And that's part of the reason it's always felt so ridiculous over the last decade, because it's it's like it's not they're not going anywhere. There's no there's no there's no penalty for third place other than you maybe don't get the bra- bragging right. I don't understand it. But there's no well, there's I- no there's no potential downside it's just like there are all these segments of the market and microsoft is finding new ways to penetrate other segments of the market the other thing not to completely shift gears but is uh, all of his comments seem to be really harmful in regard to a possible appeal to the cma because he's out there you know the the story we talked about last week of the uk's um you know uh, uh block of the merger with activision was based on cloud gaming and feels like yeah yeah we don't really think about consoles anymore it's, it's really just cloud gaming that we're worried about you know that's where we see our we can we can influence the market it's like oh that's probably not the message you want to be putting out into the world right now you know i mean the other the other message i got from it also was e3 is definitely not coming back <laughs> like <laughs> you know we don't want to be compared we're not the same we're playing different games we're all doing different things we can all coexist this is the space we live in and e3 was 
you know, where the console war, where you put on your face paint, <laughs> you yeah. know, and you went out there, I went out there in my Lakers shirt with my Lakers face paint. And, you know, it was like, oh, Xbox, like wearing Xbox jersey and running around. Um, and anything they can do, they being any of these, the people in this space can do to avoid that us versus them. We won, you lost, uh, we lost, you won messaging, yeah. I think is better for the industry worse for me having fun with my friends and getting juicy <laughs> goss uh at ha- late night hangs but probably better for the longevity of the industry um <laughs> uh i was just trying to think of like you know movies where like warner brothers comes out and is like this is a trailer for the flash and then paramount's like oh yeah well this is the trailer for top gun shoot, <laughs> yeah. through the stars and then disney's like well hold on to your butts jerks because this <laughs> which, is the trailer which for Avengers studio won cinema con <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um nobody writes those yeah. stories you know but just fascinating fascinating stuff and and i think jeff to your point if any of these current console players go away it won't be because they were in third place. It will be because the fundamental economics on a global scale shifted and they bet the wrong way in a supply la- supply chain. Some, you know what I mean? It'll be something so total. It's like we pivoted to Web 19 and that didn't pan out and yeah. <laughs> oopsie or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. But fast, if you haven't watched the whole thing or listened to it um, – like I said, Mike and Gary and, and Paris, uh, they did a great down. job. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. All friends of the show, uh, all former guests uh, of the show. Uh, although I don't think we've had, I don't think we've had Gary on. But um, anyway, the, the the point is a really great job on their part. Uh, great get on kind of funny, but really kudos to Phil for understanding that double speak and corporate speak and. Uh, you know, equivocating on all that stuff and trying to talk around it It just doesn't play into the internet generation. It doesn't play to podcast listeners. It's not useful. Uh, It's only going to make you sound worse and talking directly about it and, you know, sounding like you actually understand and care what people are asking is huge. And I think he, he comes out of this looking so good for literally admitting those things that CEOs tend not to admit, which is, Hey, we've done some things wrong. You know, uh, he talked very directly about red falls launch and how people have been disappointed by it. And, you know, and I think all of that is, is to his credit as to understanding the the current environment. And you just can't, you just can't come out and PR speak your way through it. You got to really feel like you're talking like a human being, <laughs> you know, and he did this a good job of that. In. I think. Uh, Mark from marketing lost his job. Oh, downsized. Add him to the layoffs. Yeah. I'm sure he'll bounce back though. The good news is that we have fed Mark's voice into an AI and uh, he will be back. He will never die. (laughs) He will never die. Uh, We've gotten super long on that story. And, you know, that was my pick for story of the week too. Again, it's another another podcast doing great work that we're just kind of commenting on. But I think it's a major major issue and and there are other stories we could bring up but we're already long and i want to get to the games that we've been playing so let's do that and uh talk about the games that are on our playlist alex uh what have you been playing lately 
What have I been playing lately? Uh, so you mentioned it that, uh, early in the show, Horizon Burning Shores. Um, I played all of Forbidden West to Platinum because I loved it dearly. Also Thank my- you. Yes. Take that, I, Christian. <laughs> I am on I am on that wagon with you, Jeff. Um I dearly love the first game. It was my experience of the year that year. Um Forbidden West, uh my funny enough, my Jesus and Visa stuff, having moved from California over to America, my wife was actually stuck in California for like two and a half months over Christmas. Oh, man. So you can tell why I played Horizon Forbidden West for 103 hours because <laughs> my kids, I, I dealt with kids, I did work, and then I played Horizon. That's all I did for like two and a half months. Um, but I, I was, your wife is living the dream with the kids out of town and just <laughs> speaking of kids. No, she had to stop a, a really huge enemy. Uh, she was cast in LA, <laughs> a two and a half month uh, excursion. It came she met a great friend hills. along the way to help yeah. her. But... <laughs> yes, um... my wife. My wife. Uh, you know, we have Mother's Day coming up next week. Uh, my wife is literally asking for Mother's Day that uh, she goes somewhere in the world and then loses her passport. That's what she wants for Mother. For Mother's Day, I want to be stuck somewhere and can't get home. <laughs> not far off well surprise surprise babe i've taken your driver's license and your keys and you're stuck at home okay goodbye (laughs) this is what you wanted she'd be super happy with that as long as the children weren't there (laughs) and me (laughs) i've arranged for the for a sitter to have the kids our my folks are taking care of the kids for two and a half weeks it's just you and me at home can your folks also take care of you yeah, <laughs> the, 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 the conversation goes honey for for mother's day I, i've arranged that the sitter are gonna is gonna take the kids and she's like oh that's amazing where are you gonna be <laughs> slight, slight tangent one of the things we do my wife and i do for mother's day and father's day is we always give each other the day off the day before so they get to go do whatever they want to do on that day one of us does and then um then we get that's together great. for the extra day that works out that's, yeah that's, that's, that's wonderful fun. that's kind of what, so, I'm, that's what I'm, we do too and then i spend my day off cleaning the bathroom just to really rub it in my family's face how much <laughs> i do around here <laughs> <laughs> how's, how's that working out for you happier than ever 20 years of marriage Passive aggressive fatherhood yeah. christian spicer style all right Thank anyway you. we totally burning interrupted shorts. you burning shores. <laughs> burning shores yes um so yeah love love for west um was excited to drop into uh, burning shores loving it so far i'm excited about you guys doing a spoiler cast i think there's a lot to unpack i think with with burning shores overall my takeaway is it's even more beautiful than the first game it's evolved some of the systems in a way that i'm excited about i'm not sure it's quite the i'm not sure it's made quite the impact on me that frozen wilds did in forbid in um, zero dawn um i think part of that is and this sounds really simplistic but part of it is because frozen wilds was snowy and cold like it felt like a different entirely different tundra yeah. and like burning shores is beautiful and stunning but it does feel like the same tundra and that's yeah. That's interesting. It's interesting that's a, how that that's feels. a California problem, really, is what that is. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I'm, I'm missing <laughs> missing California. Um, but yeah, um, overall, it's uh, it's stunning. And and I think one of the things I love about both Horizons is just you know going back to feel. Christian, you and I have talked a little bit about this on feeling this is just how how incredibly well executed the feel of that game is mechanically, the fluidity of it. I had a moment this week where somehow I got to my PS5 through a slightly different option on my TV. They had like a, you know, like a home screen where I could like select it. 
and I was sitting with my wife playing it and I was terrible. I couldn't dodge anything. I couldn't time anything. I couldn't hit anything. I was like, what's going on? And I realized that going through that option of my menu, even though I was in game mode, it added like some tiny bit of latency. Um, And so I switched the whole thing off and fired it all back up again and was like, oh, no, there it is. Dodge, roll, shoot. And it was just, uh, it, it reminded me of how, how fluid and, and how like how attuned to the way that game functions I was after so many hours yeah. and how, you know, how it's almost like so second nature now just playing that game, just the way you can switch, dodge, you know, change weapon, land, land an accurate shot, dodge something, move around. You know, it's just, yeah, mwah, just love it. I agree. I agree. It's uh, exquisite. And I love, I love how integrated all of the systems are like all of the goals that I have in the game are funneled through the primary way that I interact with the world. Like Mm. if I want, if I want to be more powerful, if I want to get a cooler weapon, I'm out there doing the most fun thing in the world that I could be doing. It is Mm -hmm. I'm hunting I'm I'm ripping pieces off. I'm, I'm compiling that stuff. You know, all, all of it is it. It's so streamlined. Like to contrast that with something like uh, star Wars Jedi survivor where you know, I, which again is a game I'm, I love and I'm not slagging on it, but if I want to have a better, uh, cooler outfit, I have to hope that I can find a chest in a, in a corner of the world. And does that lead me to explore more of the world? Sure. That's a good thing. And that's part of the gameplay loop of, of Jedi survivor, but it feels ancillary to the core thing that I'm doing in that game. Whereas Everything in Horizon it feels intermeshed in a way that, that is so satisfying to me. Like everything that I'm doing leads to the cooler stuff that I want, mm. and mm-hmm. I love I love how that all makes sense in that in that game. Anyway, I just yeah. added Alex to our spreadsheet as you were talking about Horizon um, for feeling this weapon selection time. Yes, I find that Horizons is almost always feels perfect mm-hmm. in the sense that when you go into the weapon wheel you always have an i find that you almost always have enough time to get to the right weapon you want to get to but it never feels like you have too much time mm-hmm. you know it's oh, like yeah, yeah. there's always that stress of like oh, i'm not gonna be able to switch to my phone i did it oh i got it boop, boop, boop. and then yeah. you know you want to switch over to your you know whatever something else to set a shock trap or do whatever. And I find that mm-hmm. interesting how balanced that needs to be. How much slowdown do they give you? What's in the wheel? What's not? And I think horizon really nails that balance of the tension, but also um, allowing you to switch on the fly. A don't plan another podcast during our podcast. <laughs> not cool. B uh, Alex is I'm officially inviting to our spoiler cast because yeah no he say, definitely needs to be on the spoiler versus cast. me going I left me flat and you being like it's the best and then Alex can come in with nuance and explain yeah, why we feel the way we feel exactly no I love that definitely we, we should Damn. we should make that happen if, if possible but Damn. um B so I plan two podcasts during this <laughs> podcast. curse you Christian <laughs> um B B kind of want to have that conversation now a little bit because. Uh, one of the things I've been thinking about is is that notion of weapon selection, uh, especially in regard to uh, having played Horizon so recently and Jedi Survivor. And uh, what was the other game that we were like, could benefit from a weapon wheel? What was that game we just played, Christian? Redfall. Oh, Redfall. Yeah. Um, I love the Horizon weapon wheel. My gripe about the Horizon 
systems and weapon wheel is that it bums me out when there's a weapon wheel. Like anytime a game asks me to just choose a subset of all Mm -hmm. the possible options, it just means I'm going to ignore a bunch of content in the game. And I love the weapon wheel. I just wish the weapon wheel was big enough and broad enough to let me have every weapon type accessible to me. Because sometimes I'll just be like, well, I guess I'm just not using trip casters because <laughs> they don't fit there's on the no wheel. room. There's no yeah. room in my weapon wheel. And I'm not going to stop and like situationally go, I guess I'll be the trip caster guy right now. I would do that <laughs> in the context of a fight. I would be like, oh, trip caster would be perfect right now. Mm-hmm. But just the notion of having to go into a menu and swap out the weapon wheel first is enough to impede me from doing that. I'll instead be like, well, I'll just down this monster using the stuff I have chosen in my weapon wheel. And I think that is even more accentuated in in games like Redfall, where it's like you have three weapons, that's it. Or Star Wars Jedi Survivor, which is well, you, you have, have two you stances. Have 15 weapons, but you only have three, just to be clear, like three selectable weapons. Like Redfall has tons of weapons. No, that's what I'm saying. It's a, it, yeah, You're right. forced know, to, to be, choose a right. subset that is immediately accessible to you. And the same thing with Jedi Survivor, where, you know, you have all, various stances, but you have to choose two that are, that are equipped at any given time. Mm-hmm. And part of me understands the notion from a design perspective of not giving you access to everything all at once and forcing you to, to choose, but it makes me in Jedi Survivor. It makes me hold on to my skill points longer because I'm like, I don't know if I want to spend it in this. Am I going to be actually using my dual wielding lightsabers? So am I going to want to waste all my points getting cool dual wielding stuff when I might want to be using it? So it just like it, it gives me analysis paralysis and gives it makes me just hoard my skill points longer and just not access the content and mm-hmm. also it tend it makes me tend to like just stick to two stances and not really experiment with all the other cool stuff anyway i've monologued alex what is your response to that um i think so we what was i think we're sort of talking about is two things one is intentional friction right intentionally setting up systems that force you as a player to make decisions right um and i think two is making those decisions really matter Right. If and I think there's a there's an argument for some games, not any in particular, but some games that they they create intentional friction, but they don't really force you to commit uh, one way or another, and therefore you get into that that element of like, well, if this kind of works, like, why would I change? And actually, um, I think there's a longer conversation to have here about Horizon, but I kind of had that with Horizon, having played the first game to to death and platinum that and finished it. Like I knew those systems really, really well. And about 10, 15 hours into Forbidden West, I was like, I kind of feel like everything's overcomplicated. Like there's loads of traps now. The gadget wheel is way bigger than it was. There's three weapons in some weapon wheel slots, right? It started to feel like it was just too much. The, the skill bar had all these sort of different style, all the, you know, the skill upgrade system. And I actually stepped away from it. I kind of didn't, I was sort of disappointed having loved the first game so much. And then I moved and I wasn't able to play it for a while. And with my wife, I was like, I'm going to give it another chance. I'm going to go back and play it. And what I kind of realized on that second run through is the thing that I like about Forbidden West is it doesn't, it produces, it provides you a lot of options and it doesn't really care which one you choose. If you want to go full traps and go that full type of play, 
there's a there's a massive load of content for you that you can engage with the content in that way and play your way if you like yeah. if you want to go full melee if you want to go full whatever full elemental there's plenty of options and i sort of came to respect that that they're kind of okay if you just ignore this whole i kind of ignored the whole trap skill tree until i just got completionist in me and wanted to just make sure i had everything completed um and it was fine with that it was fine i played it on a hard difficulty level so it didn't really like make me have to make those choices and i enjoyed that i was okay with just accepting that that stuff wasn't for me but i totally agree jeff that there's other games i've played where i'm like i feel like i'm sort of copping out here and i've just sort of i've just settled into a rhythm and nothing's making me change and that as a game developer is really hard to land how do you encourage players to try new things and and motivate them to explore what you've given them and not you know and avoid them getting stuck in a rut right i think that's a really hard challenge to land and that intentional friction how you land that intentional friction and how you ensure that players understand that their choices matter is is really hard because the bad version of that is oh man like i come up against this thing and no matter what i choose i'm done i just can't beat it because clearly there's a version of this game a version of this unlock or this gear or whatever that i just don't have right that can that can that doesn't feel feel great either so trying to find that balance i think is really really hard a game that i think does it very satisfyingly from my perspective is the is god of war and god of war Mm. ragnarok where it keeps giving you new things and it never takes any of them away they're always immediately accessible to you i can I can just be the throwing my axe guy for the whole game if I want to, but I will have the chains and I can switch between them mid combo if I want. And, and then it layers on, you know, and Ragnarok layers on new ones and new ones. And it constantly gives you like, Oh, there's other options that are all viable and you can put your points in any of them and they're all immediately accessible. And there's no subset that we're limiting you to that to me is very satisfying. The other thing I'll bring up, and again, this is a whole other podcast, but I'm enjoying the conversation. The other thing I'll bring up is I remember when I started doing the, uh, you know, I got God of War Ragnarok early as a reviewer, got an early code from Sony. And one of the things that often happens, I don't know how many people know this, but you often get a a reviewer guide or at least like bullet points of like, here's things we suggest, you know, oftentimes it'll be, you know, don't turn on ray tracing because there's going to be a day one patch or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. You know, you'll you'll get a, a the reviewers that get early code will often get like you know here's some bullet points. One of the bullet because points there's from, no one else you can talk to. You can't open right. up GameFAQ, so it's like those types of things. Like yes. oftentimes and here's some stuff. here's some tips that'll make your gameplay experience a little smoother. One of them for God of War Ragnarok was you'll get tons of skill points. Spend them. Don't worry about it. You'll get tons of them. And I remember thinking, I wish there was a way for games to express that to me hmm. because. There are some games, and I think, again, this is a vestige of a different era, growing up in a different era of games, where it was like, you're going to have 32 skills, and you can pick six of them over the course of the game. Specialize. Are you going to be a thief? You better pick the thief skills, because if you try to diversify, you're just going to be an underpowered weakling at the end. You better decide if you're going to be a mage, then you put all your points in mage, or you're going to be a this, whatever it is, right? Modern games often are like, by the end of the game, you're going to have all the skills. You know, like Horizon, by the end, all my skill trees are basically filled up. Mm -hmm. Um, And there really isn't an indicator 
at the beginning of an experience which game you're in. Like, do I need to hoard my skills and be really specific about what I get? Or can I just spray sp skill points across a bunch of different things and it doesn't matter? And I don't think games do a very good job of telling you that going in. And I think it leads to me always worried that I shouldn't spend my skill points or whatever. Uh, I wonder what your take on that is, Alex. Well, that's a tricky one. Um, I do agree that a game, you know, if a game can sort of set out its stall early, either through encouraging you to make, you know, meaningful choices with the option to kind of go back on them very easily if you want to, um, versus the, hey, yeah, we're going to sort of drip feed you and and let you figure it out, right? I think I think there's, again, this is, there's a there's an epically long conversation in this, I think, because this is in many ways kind of the the meat of how you build a game that people really want to stick with and really feel like their choices matter. Because we've all, we've all played games where oh you've got a skill point, what do you get? One percent increase to something or five yeah, percent increase yeah. to something. You're like okay, cool, I guess I got that thing. That's great. Nothing wrong with that, but you know it maybe isn't as meaningful as oh I unlocked this new thing and now I've got this new toy I can play with. Yes. Um, and if you want to create a game with a lot of longevity and a long life, right, it's hard to balance the, you know, those those percentage increases become real tempting because they're cheap, right? They're much cheaper than here's a whole new move or a whole mm -hmm. new skill or a whole new trap. Um, so I think, I think for me, right, personally, me as a gamer, when I think about a game like Ghost of Tsushima, right, which I think did a really good job of balancing this line between, hey, you've got freedom to play how you want to play, but there's also like a theme to what you're going to unlock. And when you unlock it, you kind of feel like I want to keep going down that line because what I got the first time was, was keen, right? With their, the, I forget the name. It's been a while since I played it, but the skills that you unlocked, uh, their stances, right? They had an interesting stance system that never felt like it was deliberate but it, or, or in fully enforced, but you could, especially on the high difficulty levels, it was really worth relying on it because it was effective. And I felt like there was a good balance there where I didn't really know what kind of game I was playing to your point, but I felt like I I was incentivized to make sure consistent choices by continuing down a particular thread because every one that I got was cool and I didn't really care too much if I was going to unlock everything because what I was getting was good. Um, and that's a roundabout way of saying I'm not sure if there is a there's a version of this where, again, you don't fully commit to the unlocks and what you're really going to get. And therefore, as a player, you kind of feel like, well, I guess I'll just, I don't really know what you're asking of me. So right. I guess I'm just going to hedge my bets and make sure I don't overdo it. It's kind of similar to the argument you, we would have about um, supercharged moves, right? Moves where you where you build up something and then you get to spend it all in one go. It's like a microcosm where how often would you play a game? You're like, I'm not going to spend it. I'm not right. going to spend it. I'm not going to spend it because I might need it for the next guy. Right? It's kind right. of the same thing where you don't really feel necessarily like that ratio between what what I'm doing and what I'm going to get and how I'm spending is is matched up. And I don't know. It's a, it's a really hard conversation that I think as a designer is is like especially as a sort of gameplay combat designer like I am trying to build mechanics and, and functionality, but also trying to provide you know, longevity and progression and development of you as a player, that's, it's just a really hard balance. And I don't know if there is a right answer because it sort of depends on the experience you're trying to try yeah. me. I prefer more permanent choices, choices that like when I make them, I'm like, okay, this is sending me down a route and I'm going to stick to this because it's fun. And I feel, I feel like I'm getting more of what, how I want to play. 
Yeah. Um, it's I, kind of a I will tell you, from my perspective, there there's a very clear answer to this. Uh, but again, this is personal choice. But it seems like the trend, at least, you know, obviously with Horizon and Jedi Survivor fall in this category, and, and uh, God of War is another one, um, where, you know, skill... Uh, skill points give you new moves like mm. xxy now mm-hmm. will let you do this new thing mm-hmm. i think there's a cool th- coolness to that but i'm i'm less inclined to be excited about getting a new combo or a new move that opens up because it feels kind of disposable like if i didn't open that up i could still finish the game it doesn't matter mm. i'm less inclined it's like i'm doing fine with my combat i don't need to now think about sometimes they're really cool and really awesome and i'll be excited about them but I will tell you the thing that I always wish designers would do more with skill stuff and even with equipment bonuses and stuff is let me break the rules. Mm. When I get to open up a new skill point and it lets me break a rule, mm. it feels incredibly empowering. And in <laughs> fact, even if it's even if it's like the last node on a skill tree and all the stuff before it has just been percentage increases or whatever, if the last thing is now you get to break a rule. Now you get a triple jump instead of a double jump. Now you get no fall damage. Now you get, you know, whatever whatever the thing is, like that skill lets you break a rule and let you do something in the game you couldn't have done before. Oh, that's the best, coolest feeling. And it actually influences play style. It makes me go, oh, now I'm interacting with the world in a fundamentally different way because of the choices that I made. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I think I think it's interesting that the, the additional combo action, like you're saying, doesn't feel like that to you. I, yeah. I can kind of see why, because it does sort of feel like a variation on a theme. Um, so I, 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 I like that, that reference because it does feel like it's, yeah, it's like a purposeful and impactful choice, right? Like I get yeah. something that I'm glad I invested that point in and therefore I'm not so, sort of as worried about the other points I spend because that that was worth it. So hopefully the next one will be. And even if that means, to your point, the next few aren't, but then there are another one will be, then you kind of get that feel. I'd love yeah. to do a breakdown of like different games and the way they do it and sort of really cross, cross-reference, you know, those differences. It'd be really interesting. It's one of the reasons I loved um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey so much and the, the mm. later Assassin's Creed is that they tended to be like that, is that you would get a new skill and it's like, oh, this skill lets me assassinate someone in one button press or let me string together assassinations in, in a way that I couldn't before or whatever. It, it felt like, oh, man, I actually get to do something new and different uh, over, you know, the system wide, not just, mm. you know, a move set. Anyway. I think Horizon does a good job with that. I think you're right. I think there's, especially in the expansion, there's some really good, like, you know, the the grapple zoom in uh, move you can do when you down a thing. Yeah, that felt like a awesome. complete, like, oh, wow, that's so new. So, yeah, I, I, that's a good point. I see where you, see where you come from. Anyway, we have completely, uh, you guys managed to stick chocolate in my peanut butter with your feeling this uh, in the, in this episode, and I love it. Um, but tell me what else is on your on your playlist, Alex. Uh, a couple of quick things. Um, so I played through the Street the Street Fighter Six demo, especially after you talking about it, Jeff. Um, the only thing I'll say about Street Fighter Six, outside of like you said, it is very goofy, and I kind of love it for that. I adore it for that. Is as a you know, I guess maybe this is the developer in me talking, but being able to take such a storied control system and change it into a four button system that matches the facial buttons of modern consoles was just mind blowing to me. Just mind blowing that they a 
went for it, be fully invested in it because they're like, hey, this is the mode we're going to start you with and you're going to, you know, yes, you can change it to the other mode, the classic mode, but like here's the modern thing. Just blew me away. And I know there's a lot of, I guess there's some talk in the community about how IP that mode is and how it kind of, but like the that mode is not a dumbing down of the control system. Not like when you played, when, when you played Street Fighter 2, on a three-button controller, or even on an Amiga with one button, <laughs> you're like, "Yeah, I'm compromising my experience just to play it." Right? No, they haven't done that. They've they've found a way with the context buttons. With the you know, they've still got directional input. If you go through the tutorial, like you can do all of the moves that you would normally be able to do, but with the unique inputs. Um, I was just blown away as a developer that they were able to do it, that they were bold enough to do it, and that they executed it so well. I think that's super impressive. You're not alone. Uh, I I was very harsh in my comments about the Street Fighter Six demo. I'm glad to hear you uh, have a counterpoint. We also got uh, another counterpoint from another uh, erstwhile <laughs> contributor to the show. Uh, Patrick Beja sent this in, which I wanted to play about Street Fighter Six. Mister Kanada, I was listening to uh, the latest episode of the podcast, The Downloadable Canada, where you have been voicing your wrong opinions about Street Fighter VI. I am appalled. Appalled, I tell you. You are wrong. You do not understand the qualities of that game, and I'm pretty sure that the entire FGC, that's the fighting game community, in case you don't know, which I'm sure you didn't, (laughs) <laughs> the entire FGC is pretty hyped by that game and what it brings to both new players and old players and returning players. And basically everyone likes it and you're wrong. I would be happy to explain to you at length why you are wrong. Or, I mean, probably the, we haven't played the game. It's only previews and, and showcases and stuff, but it looks good. And there are cool things which you totally missed in your 15 seconds of game that you used to decide that it was crap. But you're crap, Canada. You're crap for that opinion. Okay, that's it. Love you. Bye. Bye, Christian. I didn't forget you, but it, it was just for effect. Bye. So that's uh, Patrick's opinion uh, that I am crap. I don't think he really backed it up with much facts or, uh, you know, uh, data, but it sounds like you, you agree that this, this is a bold, interesting direction for Street Fighter Six and not a not a misstep, as I was characterizing. And you also agree that Jeff is crap. Go ahead. No, I don't know about that part. <laughs> All the S's. No, um, I'm just I'm just impressed. I, I, I would say this. Some of the things you said, Jeff, did resonate with me in terms of um, fighting for strength and punching hot dog uh, stalls, makers yes. in the face. Um, I was actually playing it with my kid, with my kid watching, and he was like, Daddy, can you just fight anyone? I was like, yes, kid, you can. Is that – I was like, don't do that in real life. Including you, son, so watch your mouth. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's funny. It feels like someone who's never played Street Fighter was given the task of like – tell me what a game called street fighter would be. And they're like, well, you can just walk up to anybody on the street and fight them. Like, yes, let's make that. Yes. Yeah, it was strange. And I will say one thing I will challenge you on is I know you you felt like the the character creator made someone very generic. I took that as a challenge when I played it and I was like, let's see how weird I can go. And um, (laughs) man, my 
my guy my guy was weird like super long arms like crazy red afro weird face paint super glossy giant shoes like and, and there's weird you made ronald mcdonald <laughs> <laughs> made yeah. hamburgers uh <laughs> sold a billion of them around the world uh <laughs> yeah, that's right. So yeah, that does sound like Ronald. Um, but there were a few cutscenes where, you know, clearly they've got this ability to have whatever character you've made in. And my guy's shoes were just kind of like weirdly floating off the ground because they were clearly too big. It just made me die. It was so funny. No, no, you're was, right. That sounds like an awesome game. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, there was another point where you have to go dress, where the tutorial makes you go dress them up. And I was yeah. like, you don't want me to dress this guy up. You don't want me to put a baseball cap on, please. And I, I came out of the thing with a baseball cap on my giant arms. I was like, this is the best game ever. Um, but yes, right, uh, definitely an experience. <laughs> Anything else on your playlist? Um, only two quick things. Kana, I finally got around to playing Kana. Love that game. Beautiful. Feels great. Mechanics are wonderful. Nice game to play in front of my kids. Yeah. Um, and I also played the two-hour trial that you get on PlayStation Plus with Disney Street Speedstorm. Love mechanically so fun. Really, really liked it. Really polished. Gameloft, you know, not necessarily always known for their AAA games, but it's this felt is the really Mario AAA. Kart with Disney characters, right? Exactly. Yeah, yes, yeah. the Mario Kart with Disney characters. Yeah. Um, only thing that stuck stuck in my mind is it's got a lot of currencies, and it felt in many ways like it was sort of a little bit of that kind of free to play model, which I struggled with, um, especially with my kids letting my kids play it. That felt like a weird clash. Like I'm not really comfortable with my kids playing those kind of games with that many like i need this to buy that and can you you know i try and avoid that too much so that felt like a bit of a strange smash to me but some friends i've spoken to said that it kind of improves over time and they do they're very generous so uh, but mechanically the jump mechanic the the skills the, the the level design the track design was really beautiful well worth it well worth a try again that's disney Speedstorm, uh the street fighter 6 demo uh kena bridges spirits and horizon burning shores on Alex's playlist. Christian Spicer, what's on your playlist? Uh, I'm going to do one game. I'll talk about the other one uh, next week. But the game I want to talk about this week is Dead Island 2. Ooh. I uh, strolled my way through the streets of L.A. to the credits of Dead Island 2 recently. And I will start by saying, do you know how multiplayer works in Dead Island 2, dear listener? Let me tell you. you and a friend play together. And let's say we play the first 10 story missions together on your save. Then I want to keep playing. Guess what level I start on? 11. Wild, right? So it's and I get all of my stuff. I get all of my stuff with me too. You've done I, all the story got- missions, but you were with, you were in somebody else's game, Christian. How could that possibly work? Uh, 20, it's the nineties. Go for it. You know, 2023. <laughs> uh, but let's say uh, I wanted to play with you and you're on level four and I'm on level six. How does that going to work? Well, I jump into your level four and we play together and it's wonderful. But what if we get to level eight playing together and I was only on level six? What happens? Now I'm on level eight. That's what happens. So the only real restriction to its multiplayer is that you couldn't play level eight with me. Like if Jeff, you were level, you were on level four, I was on level eight. You can't skip a whole bunch of levels and come up to my level eight. Yeah. But otherwise. That makes sense. Lowest common denominator. Yes. And if I get an awesome weapon uh, that I miss because we were exploring every nook and cranny um, in your level and in, in your save or whatever, then I bring that back. It's 
Fantastic. So, and of course, this is a reference to the fact that it does not work that way in Redfall, which Christian and I were railing against last week. Um, in Redfall, and, and and to be fair, lots of other games, too many in our opinion. Uh, you know, y- y- if you're invited into somebody's game, you're advancing their progress and not your own, uh, story-wise, uh, campaign-wise. Um, and so, yeah, we, we got to call out and applaud the games that do it right to do it the way that seems like it should be done yeah so i was inspired uh by my love of jedi survivor (laughs) and i think i said you know last week that it was or whenever we talked about that it was a video game ass video game you know where you find a goatee in a chest and i (laughs) heard that dead island 2 was very much like that also how many goatees Uh, and chests no but it wards video gameness on its (laughs) sleeve right and And it totally, it totally does. So for folks who haven't been following, it was first announced in 2014. Uh, Jaeger Development, who's doing, who did Spec Ops The Line, was originally hired to do it. And then Sumu Digital, who did um, Sackboy, uh, Big Adventure, which I really loved. Crackdown 3, which I didn't love. Uh, they were removed. And then Dam Buster, who you maybe would know from Homefront Revolution, started on it in 2019. Um, and now it's out in 2023. So first announced in 2014, got its third and final dev on 2019. And for all intents and purposes, that would scream problem, <laughs> you know, like a uh, problematic game. But Dead Island 2 is a game that is a showpiece for Unreal Engine 4, in my opinion. It runs great across platforms. I bought it on PC, the Epic Game Store, and it just ran well. Uh, again, talking about Jedi Survivor and its problems and they're patching it or Last of Us Part 1 and its PC problems or insert PC game that came out in the past couple of years and its problems. Dead Island 2 uh, just worked. It was beautiful. I've heard it's fantastic on consoles as well. And the art direction, the assets, they looked like how I pictured first person games looking one day when I was a kid, if that makes sense. Like everything looked next gen you know, mm-hmm. but still it kind of there is destructibility and you can move objects and things interact, but it also kind of had this look of like static screens in a way, but in a way I really liked, like this isn't a knock to the game, but it, everything looked placed and purposeful and, and built in these worlds and everything looked a little too clean, even mm. though it is messy. But the best way I could describe it is it's as if I was playing, you know, Wolfenstein in 2010 and someone asked me, what will this game look like in 2023? And I pitched it. <laughs> and Dan Buster delivered, you know, gangbusters. And this game doesn't use ray tracing. It has baked in lighting, but it is fantastic. Again, it's like how you would picture that baked in lighting looking. So it's not quote unquote realistic, but it adds to the vibes of the games in all the right ways. And I uh, have an HDR monitor. The HDR on the game is fantastic. There's a lot of coming in and out of structures and it's set in Los Angeles. And so you'd come out and it's bright and sunny and your the screen would react kind of the way your eyes would react. I think it was Drive Club that did that really well also as a driving game. We're like, yeah, if you're in a tunnel for a quarter of a mile and then you come out and the sun's in your face and you're going 150 miles an hour, that's going to be a problem. Um, Dead Island handles that really, really well. Um, it's LA setting, I think is fantastic. Something I knocked Burning Shores forwards. And I think Alex kind of hit on this a little bit too. It's beautiful, Burning Shores, but it doesn't feel like it fully utilizes its set in LA. And in Dead Island 2, LA is both a character, uh, so to speak, of the game, but also just a really fun setting where you're traversing the different areas of LA. There is, uh, it's early, <laughs> so I feel okay spoiling it. 
there is a a streamer house that you mm. go into. Mm-hmm. And in the streamer house, I took a picture of it. Uh, let me see if I can find it quickly. In the streamer house, there is a whiteboard with a apology script. Um, That's funny. Let me just scroll through these. I have too many pictures of my kid's most recent birthday. So give me one second. Here's I kind of just do a quick you played Dead Island with your kids on their birthday. Uh, she, my five year old, loved it. No, um, so I'm going to spoil. I'm going to spoil this. This is what this can is happen a, to Los Angeles. <laughs> welcome to LA. This is in game, and you don't have to see it, right? It's just like as you're exploring the environment, and there's a camera, and there's a laptop, and this is I think it's called like the Goatee House or whatever. And on a whiteboard, it says apology script. I'm alone in the house. It's 1 a.m. And I just wanted to say sorry to all my fans that I've disappointed. <laughs> but most importantly, my sponsors. <laughs> I'll do better next time. And then in all caps, cry here for sympathy. This isn't scripted. This is from the heart. <laughs> Please take the evacuation seriously. It was a mistake. I shouldn't have joked about it. Love you all. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> it, and, and the That's game hilarious. is full of that. Like the game is funny and irreverent, but it's also not just constantly. It's not, um, what was the game uh, where you're squeezing the alien? Yeah, gun? yeah. I know what you're about. High to... on life. It's not yeah, high, high on life, life right. um, but it, it like the writing is fantastic. The jokes, the in-world uh, fit, I think, for it. And the zombies were probably, I think to this point, the best zombies I've ever seen in a video game ever. Uh, and how they move initially but also it has a flesh system, which is like how you beat up these zombies. And so you take out their knee and it will then, that leg doesn't work, but it's a zombie. So it's still coming at you. But then that leg will like, you know, drag behind her. You take down both its legs. It starts crawling on the ground towards you. You bust an arm and it was like had a weapon or something in it. It's like that thing's dangling, like just absolutely fantastic. And the flesh system, which is an acronym for uh, fully localized ash evisceration system for humanoids is that (laughs) for human characters it stands for something (laughs) and it it's 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 graphic like this is you know i joked about uh, i don't have a five-year-old but this is not a game for kids it is graphic in dead island 2 i would describe as a first fpb or an fpp a first person puncher or a first person brawler it is melee combat. And uh, my friends, this is the first game I've had to take a break from. Like it got to me, the the gore, because you were just up there and the, the zombies look real. You know, they're zombies, but like like a chunk of flesh comes off and you just see like bone. And then you wail on that and like eight teeth fall out, and, like a jaws dangling. And it is up in your face. I I really enjoyed this game, but there were times where I was like, this is this is too much wow. like it's too it's too graphic i didn't know if i could <laughs> keep going forward so i think it it balances that with its humor mm-hmm. uh and like the the glossiness of of la but like full stop i had to i had to take a break um you had a full stop i had <laughs> you uh yeah. my, my question to you as a resident is how is the la of it all is mm-hmm. it i mean you talked well, about not- that the joking aside but is it sort of geographically satisfying as somebody that's very familiar with LA. It is. And not in a grand theft auto five kind of way where you, you don't get in your car and explore the world. It is very much open environment, but 
constrained play style or constrained play area. So you'll be in Bel Air and you have a a map in your Bel Air area is these five houses and you can kind of go around to those houses. But then when you go to Santa Monica for the first time, you'll, you know, fight your way through an alley, then get to a fence and press X to open the fence and enter Santa Monica. And then it will load you to the Santa Monica hub, Hmm. but they all feel representative of the area so it was fun to and and like parody versions of them again where it's like oh i know this is uh the chinese theater uh this is the observatory this is you know like what the stand-ins are for all of them yeah um that's cool but again i think because of the lighting like there were moments where i just sat on a balcony of a hollywood hills home and saw you know the sunset um come in and so i i called out that joke in the streamer house but the writing is fantastic i played as carla um, so I can't speak to how the other characters play, but again, it's like funny, but not annoying. It's not constantly talking. There's a great diversity of characters, the NPCs that you interact with both in terms of style and the way they're reacting to the game, uh, to, or to the, um, story the what's happening in the world. And also just in terms of, it's not just all, you know, tough white dudes, tough white doing right. <laughs> the world out there. Um, and and also what surprised me and I didn't think I would remember this but I guess I did it it ties it it's Dead Island 2 like it connect I don't want to give that away cuz I think that is neat for folks who have a fondness for the first game but it like ties into the first Dead Island in a very satisfying way as as the story continues like top to bottom I was blown away by Dead Island 2 if there were nits that I had to pick out um, I think it would be that it doesn't have difficulty options, which kind of bums me out because it's not it's not a Souls game, right? I didn't I never felt like, oh, if I, I need to get good to take down this zombie, this bloater or whatever. I, I would have appreciated difficulty options. I think Jedi Survivor, as we talked about, Jeff, had excellent settings and accessibility settings, and I think Dead Island 2 could be stronger if it had that had them. And zombies also scale with your character. So that means like as you progress, the general street zombie, if I'm a level nine, is also kind of a level nine. Yeah. So I never got to the point even at the end of the game where it was just like, these are ants and I am a your god. Yeah. It still felt like the same basic combat flow. I had more moves at my disposal, but I would have liked to have felt OP and then have some, you know, more difficult zombies like peppered in, but I would have loved to have the moment of being like Darth Vader, you know, mm-hmm. walking through sure. the Rebel Alliance ship and yeah. just being like, see you later, losers. <laughs> um, I think that would have been great. And then I think it's first-person brawler combat. While super satisfying initially, I felt like about halfway through the game, I saw everything it had to offer. You do have upgrades. They're represented by cards, but you can think of it as just like power-ups or a skill tree. But I kind of found what worked for me, like what we were talking about for Horizon for you, Jeff. And I felt like I wish there was a little bit more variety. Like I got to the late stages of um, Chinese theater and some of those environments. And I was like, oh, I know what's going to happen here. Hmm. I know what yeah. I'm going to do. I'm going to kite them away this way, bring them back around this way, and then do that. But that said, every time I started to get bored with it, there'd always be a fantastic environmental set piece that was optional, which I thought was really cool. Like you don't have to do it. There's a part of the game where you're on Hollywood sets, which is really fun because you're like backstage and this, that, and the other. And you, if you want to, you can like get the circuit breaker to turn on the power grid that then turn on the lighting grid to then make rain happen. And then you can drop the lights 
So because you have the rain effect happening and then you drop the lights and everybody gets shocked, <laughs> you can just like t- just some moment is like there's a pool sequence where you could it, anyway, I don't want to give them away. But, you know, I think it overstayed its welcome maybe by four or five hours for me. Um, Did you play it mostly solo or, or co-op? Almost exclusively solo. I read about the co-op and then texted a friend in Texas and was like, I want to try this. <laughs> you know, like I want to see if this works the way it says it does as seamlessly as it does. And it did. And it does. Um, it's, it's a heck of I mean, a co-op. Ex- I mean, a solo experience. I really want to play this game. Fun. I really, it, it, we're in, the, you know, there's too many games. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's when we're about to hit Zelda's about to hit. And it's just like this constant rain of, of massive experiences that I want to have. But and this one's the one that seems to be falling through the cracks. But man, I I was genuinely excited about this game for many years. It coming out and it sounds like it's actually delivering on the fun. I I want to make time for this. I, I'd love to play it co op. I don't know if you'd like it only oh, really? because it is so horrific. Oh really? But it's like it's it like tongue in cheek funny, right? Horrific. Not full through, stop. It's no. it's not high on life. It right. it is and and the plot is. I really appreciate it for how basic it is. Like you're escaping LA, right? Like you're trying to get out. There's really fun twists and, and cool things that happen in it. Like I said, it ties into Dead Island two Ted Island one in a really interesting way. But there are limited, not as many as in Dead Space or RE4, but there are jump scares. And it I could be wrong uh and not have your taste exactly right, Jeff, but it is relentless. Hmm. Like all right, fair. Gore it definitely brutality. can be a thing that turns me off. Yeah. Yeah. But knocked it out of the park. I I, I mean if you are looking for that and you know, maybe put this on your list for when it goes on sale because it is a, yeah. a spency full price game. But just if you had asked me in 2020 if I thought this game stood a chance of being at the level it is, I'd be like, no way. <laughs> it's yeah. been development hell for forever. And and Dan Busters um, really knocked it out of the park. They found with the fun and, and they delivered. What a great redemption story that is for that franchise. It's kind of for amazing sure. they managed to turn it around. It's so cool. Again, that's Dead Island 2, and it's what's on Christian's playlist. Uh, I had a chance to uh, check out Age of Wonders 4, which just released, uh, a game I had been very much anticipating. Uh, This is the latest in... Age of Wonders been around for decades, uh, this franchise. It's basically a civilization in the fantasy realm. And uh, that's a bit of an oversimplification, but it gives you the gist of, of what you're doing. God game, city builder, not city, empire builder. You know, you are, it's a 4X game uh, where you, uh, you, you build a fantasy species uh, and expand them over the map. There is a long campaign story mode. I have not done much of that, but I've uh, played a lot of this game uh, just as a sandbox civilization type, one more turn game. And the thing that's so awesome about Age of Wonders as much as I love Civ, I genuinely love Civ. And I love one of the things I love about Civ is that you end up learning a lot about human history and cultural history and how how systems have worked uh, over the course of humankind and how you interact as cultures interact and all that stuff that's based in reality is is a, a major selling point for me for civilization. However, when you take those systems and you put them in the fantasy realm and you're just making it all up and it, it, there is a lot of wonderful uh, all bets are offness to it. It's a, there's a lot of wonderful opportunity that is uncovered 
by not being tied to actual uh, human abilities or uh, history, right? <laughs> the idea that that you can just create these uh, cultures that are wildly diverse and, and bizarre. You know, there's so many different species on display in Age of Wonders 4. I mean, there's all the, you know, stock fantasy ones. There's elves and orcs and dwarves and all that stuff that you expect Tolkien-esque. But there's like mole people and uh, there's there's rat people and there's there's all kinds of wacky uh, wacky major looks to the species, but also you can uber specialize and create. You know, you can create the noble orc. That's you know, usually the orcs are always the like you know tribal warlike species. You can create the like you know gilded high uh high mage orc species you can create the elf species that is you know blood elves and and you know more grimy more like what orcs are and everything in between there's just such a wild variety of options of how you craft your civilization here and then and that's just like from the beginning there's all kinds of visual customizations you can give them mounts that are you can write on spiders and do all kinds of crazy stuff and you can even get into in the granular level and, you know, change the height of your leader, the facial features, the length of their arms and legs. It's, 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 you guys are long armed, long armed <laughs> characters. <laughs> Dude, if you're a long arm lover like Alex and I are, oh, you'll love a good long arm. Uh, anyway, so right from the top top like just the le- level of pure customization and fun of exactly what kind of weird weird fantasy culture you want to create is awesome but but then the game gets even wilder with so the upgrade system the sort of technology tree of of this game is a magic system these tomes of power i think they're called and they allow for some really wild Again, this is kind of the rule breaking that I'm talking about. You get these 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 magic spells as you increase your culture, and there are tiers of them, and you you can really hyper specialize your culture in doing some magic feat. You can, you know, there's ones that make you more powerful militarily. There are ones that let you move around the map in ways you wouldn't be able to before. Like for example, you can, you know, you can create a a culture that can move through certain terrain types faster than you should be able to. And then you can also get magic that lets you manifest like terraform uh, areas into that terrain type. So if you're able to move through forests, for example, super fast, you can then like transform the land into forest land. So you're more advantageous. And there's all kinds of things like that, that are, you know, uh, stackable buffs and and just ways to specialize your your uh your culture and uh i find that level of creativity and and options to be a little daunting like the Mm -hmm. game is there's a lot of it right and you're doing civilization stuff you're you're building farms and you're building mines and you're you know getting your culture more powerful and you're having diplomacy with other areas and annexing lands and bringing other cultures into yours and doing all the 4X stuff you would do. But you have this layer of magic that lets you really break the rules and create all kinds of cool interactions. 
and specializations for your culture. The other thing is the combat system. Everything in this game is really streamlined. And I think as daunting and full of density as it is, there's a lot of stuff in this game. They also do a really great job of making it accessible and streamlining certain things like combat, which can always be auto-played. You can get into a combat and it'll tell you like, you're likely to win or you're likely to lose or you're like, you know, this is going to be a hard combat. This is going to be one that's going to really test your forces. And you can auto have it auto-play and then you can watch the replay of that and see how it auto-played. And even cooler, if the auto-play results in a loss you can manually replay that for hmm. free. Like, there's no penalty. It'll be like, hey, you lost. Do you want to go back in time and try it yourself? And you can be like, oh, yeah, no, I think I can win this if dumb old computer doesn't play, you know? Which is, I think is a really clever way of relieving any of that frustration point that might come from like, ah, oh, I lost the combat. Ugh, stupid computer. Uh, you can literally step back through the replay and see why you lost, or you can just... Replay it for no penalty. So smart. A lot about, I mean, the game is gorgeous. There's tons of stuff to do in it. There's like underground caverns and, uh, you know, there's tons of different enemy types. The bestiary is enormous. Tons of things to discover. Uh, It's a massive global fantasy world that you are trying to conquer in all these different ways. And I just think the world of it, I think Age of Wonders 4 is, spectacular i'm i'm enamored with the game i think it's it is big and complex and unruly but i think with some of those streamlined aspects and the way it has really i think a very strong tutorial great tool tips a an, an encyclopedia or what, what do they call it the you know like a wiki like in the context of the game that you can easily access and and you know it, i find it to be pretty accessible even for folks that aren't steeped in these kinds of games steam deck question mark you know i have not tried it on steam deck that's a great question i i suspect it would be a little frustrating i mean i don't know maybe with the touch screen it wouldn't but so I was, yeah i was wondering about, like the touch pads and the screen maybe if there was a, it I, seems like the type of game that i would play the most with quick resume you know like with that sleep mm, mode yeah um i'll have to look it up it's a big massive cool if you if you like civ games and if you like fantasy man what a Want to match? It is. It, it really feels like you can create whatever wild idea you can imagine. There's just so much there, and just to start, right when you start, you're like, "Oh my gosh, look at how awesome!" Oh, and you're the leader of your faction. Like, will get loot and continue to change through the course of your campaign. You, you know, you'll get new items, you'll get new costume pieces, you'll get new customizations. You'll, you're, you're, and you can change your entire culture in big sweeping ways over the course of your campaign too it's pretty rad age of wonders four uh i recommend it i'm curious jeff just quickly to go back to that point about kind of feeling like you're making meaningful progress and also your point about this being quite complex like Mm -hmm. how do you feel it gives you that that feeling with all that complexity and all those choices how do you feel it gives you that feeling of, of making the right choice and going in the right direction kind of thing that's a very good question. I, you know, I think it probably could do a better job of that. Cause I mean, I think the tutorial does a good job of, of kind of shepherding you through mm-hmm. and it does a, a really good job of presenting the next decision point 
um, mm. in a very clear way. And, you know, you, 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 as you move through these tomes of magic that are the major decisions you'll be making, you, you lots of other smaller decisions, but the major sort of upgrade path are these tomes of, of magic. And you get three of them to choose from each time. And a lot of times it'll be like, well, I don't know what that is, but the options are so cool in the sense of like these rule breaking ideas that immediately lead to, to a notion of how you'll implement them. It'll be like, mm. oh, you have the power now to heal your characters in a certain way, or you have the power now, like I said, to move through the world in a very specific way that you didn't have before that lets you break that rule. It's like, mm. okay, well, I want to do that. That sounds really fun. So now my play style is going to change. And so I think it sort of reinforces that feeling that it was a right decision because now I'm playing the game in a new way. You know, I'm mm. able to do things I wasn't before. And so now I'm able to sort of focus my my civilization in a different direction than I was before. And that just feels very satisfying. It's like, okay, it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, it was the right decision because now I'm playing it like it was the right decision, you know? I was going to say, I wonder if that's the solve to your question, Jeff, is like when you make a decision to upgrade, you don't feel like you made a bad choice, whatever that is right whatever it does it doesn't feel like you're like ah, well i guess i got something cool it's like oh i got something and it's it feels like i made the right choice even though i could have made two other choices or whatever other choices that's kind of interesting it does that so well yeah and i think that's the that's the central thesis for my notion about like what feels good is breaking the rules because Mm. i think a game like diablo does that really well you know diablo 3 does that really well with um you know, you'll get a piece of legendary gear that's like, hey, you know that whirlwind spell you love? You can now cast that four times in a row without any mm-hmm. cooldowns. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, I got a piece of gear that lets me do that? I'm going to definitely equip whirlwind on my character because now I can just spam. Oh, that's amazing. Even if I didn't have whirlwind equipped before, now it empowers that. And so it's like, oh, that's the kind of character I'm playing now because I got this piece of loot. It just feels so satisfying to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it always feels like the right choice. Yeah, exactly. It's cool. Well, it was clearly the right choice to have Alex Solman on the show. Uh, this is uh, always fun to talk to you. Uh, this is going to do it for our episode. We do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But Alex, thank you for being here. Thanks for making time. We certainly appreciate you being on the main show, not just feeling this. Uh, so thanks for being here. My pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you for getting up early to accommodate my time zone. Last time I was on California time, so it was a bit easier. But this time, <laughs> I appreciate you guys making this. And yeah, I, I, like I said before, when I was on, I love your show. Listen to it every week religiously. The paid DLC, enjoy it. I'm a patron because I love Thank it. You. Um, and uh, yeah, it's excited to excited to chat to you guys. I like your vibe. I like. I feel like we, we our ideas and our our opinions mesh. So uh, I appreciate the time. Uh, thank you. Well, we are grateful for all of the above. Uh, tell folks where they can keep track of you and, and follow the stuff that you do online. Uh, that's a little harder these days because, like you, I've kind of, like Christian. Really, I've sort of backed away from social media. I am on Twitter at Rambling Alex. Um, I am on Instagram. Mostly use Instagram, I think now. But um, as the Powder Toast, big fan of Ren and Stimpy. Um, <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> you can there you go. Me on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, I'm not really on social media that much, um, but uh, look me up there and send me a message uh, if if you have any questions or, or wanna wanna chat. I'd be I'd be down. Awesome, Christian Spicer. What about you? What do you got going on this week? 
Discord, uh, DLC Discord is probably the best way to get in touch with me. Alex has also dropped in there and dropped some hot knowledge. For sure. Yeah. Of course. Awesome. Yes. Discord, like you, is, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Of course. There's been, there's been great chats. I think, uh, community was chatting about something and Alex popped in and was like, here's my opinion. And it was like a tome. And as I read it, I was like, ah, I love reading things from people who are smart and know what they're talking about. As I was going to write, like, I don't know, bro. That's not what I think. And then Alex was like, well, but Christian, here's I post in there all the time. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it's nice to have people that know what we're talking about um, posting there from time to time. Uh, but no, our Discord is the best place. And there were interesting conversations around um, the uh, kind of funny interview. And it's a great place. Great place. And it is where I, I uh, spend most of my time online now as mm-hmm. uh, social media feels anything but. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then I have a newsletter that I have neglected. As I'm, I'm considering how to retool it in a way that um, maybe I just need to send it, but as, as, as satisfying to readers, but also satisfying to me, but it, typically it's once a month and you can find it at tinyletter.com slash Christian Spicer. And then over at my website, which is just Christian Spicer.com. You can see uh, I blog occasionally, usually when embargoes are up in between shows, I'll, I'll do reviews there. And then I also have a link to the last few remaining, physical editions of my graphic novel consequences if folks want to pick that up they can find it at my website as well uh yeah that that's that's for me what about you jeff well i have other podcasts um i am still hanging around twitter very little but uh sometimes you can follow me there at jeff canada which is spelled with two n's and one t uh you know it's just uh it's just a shame. But yeah, the Discord is a great place to hang out with us and, and, and get, get to us. Uh, and then, of course, uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, but other shows that I do include the Filmcast, uh, which is about movies and TV shows. We're going to be doing uh, Guardians of the Galaxy next, uh, which is a darn fun show, uh, movie. Uh, and I do. You all just say that so people go see it. So you're all right for your Hollywood, your summer movie. You're, oh, every. So I think it's a ten time view in theater movie. Yeah, is yeah. What see I it think. again and uh, again. You'll never get everything on the first viewing. <laughs> uh, don't go see Barbie. Um, I didn't put it on my list. Anyway, uh, we do the film cast. Uh, you can find it wherever you get podcasts. I also uh, have a comedy science show I do with Anthony Carboni called We Have Concerns. Uh, we have concerns.com. You can find that. Uh, we also, I also do a sports show uh, called the Fan Controlled Show. Uh, you can find that uh, Fan Controlled Sports and Entertainment is the is the organization, and you can find them on YouTube and and Spotify and anywhere you get podcasts. Good, fun, all around. And then, of course, the book club that Lana and I have been doing is on my YouTube page. That's uh, youtubecom slash Jeff. and uh, we just finished the first book of the Malazan Books: The Fallen. Moving on to the second book, Dead House Gates. It's been so much fun having people along for the ride on those reads. Uh, we also, every episode, we talk a little bit about just reading in general and other books and stuff that if you're not reading the book with us, you can still get some joy out of. So check it out. It's good fun. All right. Let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Alex, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I do. Now, now go with me with this for a minute. Right? <laughs> I don't. My wife and I don't watch many kind of reality shows. There's one English one we watch called Made in Chelsea religiously. Um, we just discovered married, married at first sight. Married at first sight, Australia. Wait, hold on. Um, 
I guess I didn't know that Married at First Sight was a thing. It's been around for a while in America. They've done it in a few different countries. We started watching it primarily because a, a good friend of ours recommended we watch it. The show is fun. We enjoy it. What I, what I wanted to pull out of it is the thing I've probably enjoyed the most about it is the banter between my wife and I about it and with our friend and his wife about it. Um, the back and forth about it, the excitement about the episodes, like waiting to see what's going to happen, the silly little memes we've pulled out of it. Um, the thing I want to take away from it, my parting gift is if, you know, if, if you have a partner, a good friend that you can find a show like that, that you can just sort of like not take too seriously, but also have like, can't wait for the next episode. And, um, with the, the finale just happened and there's like a reunion show coming up on Monday and Tuesday and we can't wait to sort of pull it apart and laugh at it and just enjoy it. Right. That experience of kind of watching something that you connect with, someone you're close to, you know, friends you're close to and sharing that, like, I know we've been in COVID and we, you know, we've, there's been more of that than there ever has been, but this show just reminded me how much fun you can get out of even something so trashy like that show, which is so, it's so fun. Um, it's just, it's just been a great experience. So, so my, my takeaway is my, my part and gift is that and find something you can connect with someone and just really lean into it. It's, it's great. Love it. That's married at first sight. Australia. And that's Alex's parting gift, Christian Spicer. What about you? Season one of Feeling This on <laughs> Patreon.com slash DLC pod. Season two starting as soon as I finish editing them. Um, it sounds like season was... two started right here today on the main show. <laughs> no, no, I cut that out of the main show and uh, I saved it for a future episode. So <laughs> folks don't know what you're talking about. Um, my main one, as I take it off, uh, I'm not talking about it before, but like house slippers, get yourself. We've talked about I think on a Wednesday show, like house not slippers. wearing shoes inside. Um, oh, well, my feet are chilly, uh, my art support, whatever. I don't he- want to hear it. Get yourself a nice <laughs> pair of house slippers. There's, I mean, it's straight up Mr. Rogers, but there is nothing. I wear comfortable shoes out and about, but there is still very little better in life than coming home and taking off your shoes and putting on your slippers and While being singing. like, oh, yeah. yeah, And, and then getting the, the mail from a little guy on a train. Like yeah. all, it's the little things you can, but for real, house slippers. I'm a huge fan and I think everybody should have them. Find ones that work best for you. And you'll, it's, it's everything's better. Everything is better with house slippers. There's not one thing made worse by house slippers. Not, nothing. String endorsement. <laughs> I have a uh, television show. I mentioned this on paid, paid DLC. Actually, Danish and I kind of went off on this show. But I thought I'd mention it on the main show as well as a parting gift. Um, because it, I don't hear anybody talking about this other than Danish and myself. I mean, I heard two people talking about it a lot. We uh, went off on it. Uh, this is a uh, bizarre, <laughs> insane, very interesting animated series on HBO. Just started. It's called Fired on Mars. And it's hard to describe it uh, other than the premise is, you know, fantasy or not or sci-fi world a few, few years in the future. People are on Mars. There's a colony on Mars. A guy gets a job as a graphic designer on Mars. One way, you know, one way ticket. There's no going back to Earth. You go to Mars. That's it. You're going to die on Mars. Leaves his girlfriend, goes uh, to Mars to take this job. And as soon as he arrives, is fired, is downsized. We don't need graphic design. It turns out we don't need graphic designers on Mars. And uh, so it's a, it, it, that's the inciting incident. That's the mo- that's the kickoff to what this show is about. But it very much is not about that. It is just it just goes spinning off into wild directions. Uh, and it is darkly funny, bizarre, 
well worth watching. I think Fired on Mars on HBO Max. I guess it's only called Max now, uh, but uh, heart- heartily recommended. Okay, we got a listener suggested parting gift as well. This was sent to us from Tyson, who says, uh, "Hello, D- DLCers." Christian's mention of music discovery recently reminded me of a parting gift I could share. Everyone has dabbled with chat GPT by now, but one of the more useful things I've found to do with it is to get modern music recommendations. The algorithms of YouTube and Spotify have always let me down. If I like Pearl Jam, they offer Soundgarden instead of something from this century that Pearl Jam fans would sync with. I ask... What are some new rock bands that are classic rock quartet with drums, bass, guitar, and singer? And I get seven recommendations to dig into with Chad GPT. Ask for more suggestions. I get seven more and tweak for taste. Ask for more that are heavier or bluesier or acoustic only. It's been an invaluable music discovery tool for me. And I thought I'd share. Thank you, Tyson. I've not thought to use that in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I think there's going to be stuff like this. That people are uh, finding that services like ChatGPT, AI, you know, uh, uh, these these new tools can be used in in really, I think, outside the box ways, and we're just on the cutting edge. We're just very tip of the iceberg of that. And right now, some band is doing everything they can to have the AI scrapers pick right. it up yeah. to recommend <laughs> forever. You know, it's like <laughs> I like Katy Perry and Madonna. What else should I like? Kill murder. Okay. Um, I like uh, rock and roll and yeah. rap. What else would I like? Kill murder. Okay. AI, AI mm, like- uh, engine optimization is, is the future. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, but very cool, I thought. Thank you, Tyson. If you'd like to have your parting gift right on the show, send it to us, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Alex Solman and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those fun bumpers. Our theme song was composed by White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. Uh, you can get swag for the show at dlcswag.com. That's dlcswag.com. Thank you to Jesse J. Anderson for setting that up. And uh, thank you to our patrons for making this show possible. Without them, we would not be able to make this show. It is just that simple. Uh, They make this show possible. Thank you, patrons, for supporting us. Our top-tier patrons, the hype train-level patrons, get their names shouted out at the end of every episode. And I'm going to do that right now. In a world where the hype train patrons are key to DLC continuing... In a world where it is our duty to thank those hype train patrons, we need to shout out Taylor Wiggert, Jason Novak, Octavian Ratsiu, Christian Bravery, Josh Peak, Jad, Peter Holberg, Nick Strauss Klein, Michael Stadler, Michael Buck, Jackson. Mike Lombardo, Travis, Albert of the Stuff and Junk Show podcast, Soren Silk, Yick, the Spiceman Silencer, Jonathan, Spiceman Forever Slipper, Zachary White, Stugas, Nate, Kevin Brazel, Jenny. 
Dan Palmino. Malcolm King. Mark Gowland. Jimmy Radcliffe. Jonathan Putney. Mitchell Ness. Will with one L. Harris. Jack Luxack. Chris Zacharias. Matt Bradley. Jonathan Talbert. Victor Valenzuela. Scooby Diesel. Cheesy Bob. Adam. Envy. Hank Patton. Sasan. Rob Rickman. Dan Flanagan. Riley Knox. Anthony Gulas. Kyle Starr. Andy Joyce. Michael S. Matt Valdez. Relentless Rex. John Sisko. Curtis. From Louisville. David Epp. Sure you can. Hyperboy 66. Brian Jordan. Joe DeFrank. Scott Lambert. Kevin Eddy. Stephen T. Seifert. Tyler Buckwildbrook. Wayne T. Robinson. And Rob Wonder Rob Dominguez. Thanks to all those hype train patrons for making this summer possible. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. <laughs>